This is Wilderness and Wildlife, presented by the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half-hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with wildlife and wilderness advocates relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy in the wildlands of the West and all across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Our guest today is Scott Anderson, a National Park Ranger in Mount Rainier's National Park, who is one of the park's biological science technicians. Scott is the amphibian crew lead at Mount Rainier, and he graduated from the University of Washington and has since worked in Montana, Oregon, California, and Idaho for the U.S. Forest Service. He's worked for the National Park Service and at the University of Washington and the University of Oregon as a biological technician. He's worked on plant and animal projects over the length of his career, and he's a proficient botanist as well as an aquatic specialist. So welcome, Scott. We're great to be glad to be talking to you, and I uh, hope things are going well down at Mount Rainier. Uh, thank you, Jay, and uh, thanks for having me on your program. Okay. So tell us how long you've been working at uh, at the park, Mount Rainier. Yeah, so I, I started at Mount Rainier in uh, 2009, so I've been there about 15 years. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. So why was uh, Mount Rainier made a national park in 1899? Uh, why, why was it set aside as a park by Congress? Right. So that that's a, uh, a good question. <laughs> it's a rather involved question. Uh-huh. Um, it was the fourth national park, I believe. The fifth. So Mount Rainier is fifth national park. Um, the, it, the impetus for it becoming a park was mostly from uh, locals in both Tacoma and Seattle. Uh-huh. Uh, the way I understand it, there uh, people who visited the park who had an interest in it. Um, the railroad was in part responsible, um, and I would if. Folks are interested in this topic. I recommend going to the uh, the National Park website because uh-huh. it's a, a really good description of uh, how it came to be. But it's it's, it's quite involved. Well, so, the National but Park it was mostly local interest. The National Park Service was founded in 1916, so there were about 17 years uh, that it had to be administered by someone. Was that the Army? Well, uh, many of the parks were administered by the army, and but I'm not sure about Rainier. I I, I had a question. I actually don't know, and okay. I believe it could be the uh, uh, the Forest Service because the uh, the original park was it, it, it came to be right after the uh, it was on Forest Service land. Uh huh. A lot of it. So a lot of the parks yeah. were yeah. So uh, you're the biological science technician and the amphibian crew lead at Mount Rainier. Uh, talk about those. Uh, talk about the work that you do. Right. So I am one of. Uh, oh, there's there's quite a few of us uh, uh, biological science technicians who do a lot of work uh, at Mount Rainier. Uh, both. Uh, uh, I'm in the aquatics group. So we are focused on aquatic resources. There's also a, a veg crew, vegetation crew, and a wildlife crew, as well as uh, 
folks who work in archaeology. So uh, I, I mainly am focused on uh, aquatics resources and particularly uh, amphibians, as well as uh, I do some work with fish and uh, air quality and uh, soundscapes. So how many, how many species of amphibians do you find in Mount Rainier Park? So Mount Rainier, uh, we have uh, we have 14 species that we know of that occur in the park. Um, there are uh, seven lentic breeding species, so that's uh, those species that that lay their eggs in in uh, uh, still waters. Um, then we have three uh, stream breeding species and four terrestrial species. Um, yeah. And I can go into some more details if you if you like on that too. Well, we don't we don't usually think of Mount Rainier as a place where to look for amphibians. So uh, because of the fourteen thousand foot uh, peak, so uh, what uh, where where in the park uh, is a good habitat for them to to exist? Right. So uh, they're actually uh, be below. Below the, you know, below uh, say ten thousand feet or so, they're they're pretty prevalent within the park, and uh, I, you know, I think of Mount Rainier as the land of water uh -huh. uh, because of the glaciers, uh -huh. and and uh, we have a lot of water in the park, lakes, uh, lakes and streams, lakes, rivers, wetlands, uh, you know, uh, ponds, uh, it just. Uh, headwater streams, uh, they, and um, uh, there, there's a few species that are that are quite ubiquitous in the park. Uh, uh, I'll name one of the the, the uh, cascade frog. Uh huh. Uh, is a frog that's found pretty much oh anywhere where you hike between uh, from 3,000 feet up to up to 6,000 feet. Uh, -huh. uh any uh you'll find cascade frogs uh, -huh. uh and they 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 inhabit uh wetlands um little streams potholes and lake shores uh you'll you'll see these frogs uh hopping around um, and the more you look the 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 easier you know the more you find them do you have any idea of what the population number is uh no. Yeah. <laughs> they're 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 uh in in Washington state, uh the cascade frog is is apparently doing quite well. Uh it, that, this species actually was uh proposed for listing uh, uh on the Endangered Species Act. Uh -huh. uh, but uh this is mainly due to um its decline declining populations in California. Which is at the southern end of its range. So they're all around. They're all around surrounding Mount Rainier. Is that right? That's correct. They're throughout the 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 Cascade Mountain Range, Cascade, all the way up. What other What other species are prominent in the park? Um, probably the other uh, real prominent species would be the the northwestern salamander. Uh -huh. And so this is a, a pond breeding species that occurs in uh, many of the lakes 
uh, and ponds in, in Mount Rainier. Um, it's the uh, so so all the lakes at Mount Rainier uh, originally had uh, no fish. Um, uh, there fish in the the rivers and streams, but not in any of the lakes. Oh, really? And um, the Northwestern sal- salamander is essentially the uh, the top aquatic vertebrate predator in in our lakes. What are the pr- what are the particular uh, identifying characteristics? Um. Well, uh, uh, the uh, the adults. Which you don't see too often. The the terrestrial adults, after they they metamorphose into a terrestrial adult, they're uh, they spend a lot of their time in, in burrows uh, under undercover objects, logs and rock, uh-huh. and uh, primarily you would see them uh, in the eat you know at night. Uh, uh, but what you do see more commonly are the the larvae. Um, which occur, which are what you see in the in many of the lakes. Um, you'll see their larvae and you'll see their egg masses. And one of the curious things about uh, the northwestern salamander is that they're a what's known as a facultative patamorph. So the uh, uh, what what this means is that the the, the larva will uh, sometimes well they don't always uh, metamorphose into a terrestrial adult, some will due to genetic and environmental uh, conditions will uh, retain their larval characteristics but become uh, mature adults and spend their entire lives in the, their, their uh, aquatic habitat. Oh, that's... And, you, and, and they get quite large and you'll, and you can, and those lakes that haven't been stocked with fish, um, they can sometimes be quite common, and you can just you, you'll see them in a lake, you know, along the shoreline if you're walking along. Yeah. What are the unique identifying characteristics of the Cascade Frog? Um, they uh, uh, probably the easiest thing to do is uh, look at some pictures, but. Um, the uh, the adults are uh, sort of a olive green. They can be kind of variable in color. Uh-huh. Uh, they typically have uh, uh, black spots on their back and uh, prominent um, dorsolateral. Uh, well, they have uh, uh, dorsolateral ridges on either side of their back. Uh-huh. Uh, they're quite distinctive, and they're you know they're about uh, anywhere from. Uh, the the juveniles are about an inch to two inches and up to a, about three and a half inches long. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, so why are these amphibians important to the ecosystem in the park? What role well, do they play? Right. So amphibians play an interesting role in that they're they can be both significant predators and prey for for other animals. And they also, uh, for those species, uh, not, not all amphibians uh, live in both aquatic and terrestrial environments, but, but many do. Um, and so they they move uh, 
energy and and uh, material uh, um, from a wetland habitat or aquatic habitat into the terrestrial environment. Uh, but they do; they play significant um, roles as as a prey species and predator. Who preys? Who preys upon these uh, amphibians? Um, everything from from invertebrates. Uh, so in their their larval stage, uh, dragonfly larvae, uh, aquatic beetles, so other invertebrates, fish, uh, other amphibians, birds, uh, several mammal species. That's uh-huh. um, it's they it's quite diverse. Uh, so uh, some road surveys were done probably eight years. Eight years, uh, six years ago. So, what was the purpose of those road surveys? Well, we um, part of my work is involved with um, uh, road construction, uh-huh. and um, uh, so whenever there's there's work on uh, several of the road systems in the park. Um, we, as a result of the National Environmental Policy Act, we conduct surveys to look at the impact that the work may have on the environment and uh, the the animals that may inhabit those environments adjacent to the road. So, uh, what I we uh, in the mid 2014 to 2016 we conducted uh, numerous road surveys uh, to to identify hot spots along the road system where amphibians were were utilizing the road and what that has enabled us to do is to um, when future road projects occur we can we kind of know some of those locations where there may be um, amphibians present. And we can then, we have several mitigations that we can do to, to, to at least lessen the impacts to those amphibians. You're talking about roadkill and mortalities, right? Well, yes, that's, that's the most direct, yeah. Uh, roadkill from, from vehicles also impacts to, um, uh, um, r- roadside habitat and uh, um, effects from uh, so there's culverts are everywhere you know within the park and so replacing culverts can have impacts on amphibians um, as well as uh, bridge work um, yeah so uh, do you are there preventive measures that you can take to prevent roadkill? Uh, there is some, uh, yes. Um, uh, as far as like, uh, as a, as a, there are things that we do uh, in the park uh, during construction projects uh, to prevent uh, animals uh, uh, from either getting into the construction project and. Uh, and which may cause mortality. Some of that involves uh, moving animals 
off the, the side of the road and, and when there's intact habitat. Um, uh, the timing of some of the work will avoid working uh, during rain events or at night. Yeah. Um, and then as far as, like, the public goes, um, uh, uh, driving at night during uh, a spring or, or a fall rains can, can uh, I, I don't advise that. Let's just, let's just put it that way. So uh, if you want to, you know, uh, you'd be surprised at how many uh, amphibians sometimes on a, a, a warm fall rain uh, in the at night. Um, what happens is uh, you will have uh, amphibians moving from their breeding habitat to uh, upland habitat, uh-huh. and quite frequently that can be on uh, either side of a road. And so you'll have animals crossing the road um, during those rain events. Are there plants in the park that amphibians uh, depend upon? Yeah, so that, I would rephrase that question to say, uh, are there habitats okay. that, which include plants? Yeah. But, you know, what habitats do uh, amphibians uh, depend on? And, um, in the in the one of the unique things about amphibians is they utilize typically uh, several different types of habitat, uh, which includes uh, wetlands and uh, wet meadows, um, which of course have have you know lots of wetland plants, uh, uh, sedges and and rushes and uh, other aquatic or you know wetland species um and but they also utilize uh upland habitat like i mentioned earlier uh which can be both uh forested habitats um and um uh riparian habitat along both streams and and lake shores as well as uh specific more specific habitats, uh, um, deep and talus slope, uh-huh. C- certain terrestrial species utilize those habitats. So, so uh, you also monitor fish. Uh, how many species of fish do you find in Mount Rainier National Park? We have uh, several salmonid species uh-huh. at Mount Rainier that inhabit the, the park's rivers. Uh-huh. Um, the as well as uh, sculpin, we have three species of sculpin, uh, whitefish, and of the salmonids, uh, probably the most uh, the one that that the park uh, Mount Rainier's focused on the most is uh, bull trout, uh, which is a threatened, federally threatened species, um, and we're right now we're in the uh, uh, spawning season for bull trout. Uh-huh. Um, and they are they're uh, coming up into the park. Those that are uh, sea run, we have both uh, resident sea run and uh, fluvial uh, bull trout. And the fluvial bull trout are those that they may inhabit larger river systems, but when they 
they spawn, they, they travel upstream into smaller creeks, and then the, the sea run individuals uh, come up from the sound, typically at Mount Rainier from Puget Sound, and then we have resident trout that are up in small, bull trout that are up in small streams. Do you have any salmon coming up the rivers uh, into the park? Um, we uh, Chinook have been found in the park, as well as coho and pink salmon. And then we also have uh, steelhead uh-huh. as well. Are fish populations as numerous as they should be? Um, well, uh, I suspect, I can't give you any hard evidence on that right off the top of my head, but um, uh, I suspect not. Uh, all but one uh, river is dammed that 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 um, that comes out of the park, you know, that flows outside the park. Right. Uh, so that uh, that is a hindrance to to spawning uh, fish. I see. Do any of the aquatic species uh, differ by the altitude at which you find them? Uh, below 10,000 feet? Are there zones? Sure, yes. Um, well, we have two closely related uh, frogs, uh, the uh, northern red-legged frog and the cascades frog. Um, and they one is typically found below 3,000 feet, like from sea level to 3,000. I mean, the park doesn't go down to sea level, of course, but um, from the boundary up to about 3,000 feet, we find northern red-legged frogs, and um, above 3,000, we we then uh, see uh, cascade frogs, uh-huh. and there's a little overlap there. Other species, uh, yeah, they, there's a, there might be some altitudinal um, restrictions. Um, uh, and that that might have more have to do with habitat as well. Um, uh, yeah. So you monitor you monitor various aspects of uh, environmental conditions like water quality and air quality and lakes. Uh, what uh, what does that monitoring involve? Yeah. So one of the the one of the things I work with or work on is uh, we have a uh, long-term uh, lake monitoring project uh-huh. um, that uh, we we have uh, six lakes that we monitor every year at, at the park, um, and we're one of three parks that uh, that uh, monitor that are part of this program, both Olympic and North Cascades, also. Uh, monitor, uh, they have several long-term lakes, um, and we look at the chemistry, uh, lake chemistry, um, and then um, zooplankton and chlorophyll and also uh, amphibian and uh, fish presence in those lakes. And And that's been going on since uh, 2000. 2008, roughly. I see. You do some soundscape monitoring, too. What does that involve? Well, um, so that's 
we uh, we monitor the the ambient uh, sound levels uh-huh. within the park, and um, it's part of the uh, night sky and natural sounds division. Um, and basically, we set up uh, sound monitoring systems at various locations in the park. Um, we leave them up. They run continuously for for approximately uh, a month, and then we can then analyze that data and look at the percentage of time that you hear natural ambient sounds versus um, anthropogenic sounds, which typically in the park are uh, mostly aircraft. Oh, really? And automobiles as well. You're right, yeah. Vehicles. So what's the effect of climate change on wildlife in the park? Um, yeah, that's a hard one to answer, uh, but what we have seen, what I can say is that, uh, we've, um, I think the impacts will, will, will be, uh, like from my point of view, from, uh, an aquatic resource point of view, we have seen, uh, changes in, uh, or what may happen is we may see changes in the, uh, Length of the hydro period in wetland wetlands, especially uh, intermediate wetlands and uh, more ephemeral wetlands. So the period in which they retain water will um, has shortened, um, and so you may see changes from like uh, a uh, uh, an intermediate wetland, which typically holds water throughout the summer. Uh, turning into a, an ephemeral wetland that typically then dries up towards the end of summer, and that may have changes with uh, both in vegetation and and also what species might be present in the aquatic habitat. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, those amphibian species that um, that utilize aquatic habitats for breeding may not have a long enough uh, hydro period to uh, to metamorphose into a terrestrial adult, so they'll they'll uh, essentially dry up or die prior to, yeah. to metamorphosis. So, is there some academic research that's going on in the park uh, by some of the universities in the area? Yes, that's continually happening. Uh, both. Uh, uh, Several universities uh, it, around the, the Northwest are involved in projects um, at Mount Rainier. Um, you know what they're uh, trying to find out? Uh, there's, uh, well, I'll just briefly mention uh, the a group uh, uh, that uh, out of the uh, University of Washington which did a study not too long ago um, on uh, looking at wetlands and trying to model the effects of climate change on different types of wetlands. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, that's one of the, the big key findings in their models was, uh, which I just touched on prior, was that um, uh, Intermediate wetlands 
will probably, uh, in one of their models, show that intermediate wetlands will likely, um, uh, their hydro periods will shorten and they'll become more like a, an ephemeral wetland. Awesome. Well, Scott, we have uh, a half hour goes quickly, so we've run out of time. So I want to thank you very much for the interview and uh, wish you well and uh, what the work you do. So well, thank you very much, Jay. Yeah, I appreciate it. This is Scott Anderson, National Park Ranger in Mount Rainier National Park. He's one of the park's biological science technicians. This has been Wilderness and Wildlife, a presentation of the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. To hear more of these half-hour interviews, go online to js-wilderness.com and see additional features of our website. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jay Shell.